Welcome to The Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life, in the same spirit as the conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and we're so glad that you've joined us here at The Modern Cloister. If you like the types of conversations we've been having, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe. Connect with us on social media at Carissa Turner and the J. Kevin Turner, and send us your thoughts, questions, experiences, and suggestions for future topics to moderncloister at gmail.com. All right. Today we're doing something a little different. Uh, This is going to be our Rise and Fall of Mars Hill reaction pod. So if you haven't listened to it... um, I don't know how you haven't listened to it. I think everyone has listened to it who listened to podcasts at this point. This this was a massive, massive podcast. I have the listing here. They had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They don't show an 11, but they have 12 twice. So it's 12. They're an hour on average each. The last two were two and a half hours each, and there were one, two, three bonus episodes. So a 15-something um, 20 hour long podcast that first launch was at July maybe yeah, last I think year? yeah seven seven months ago I don't have the dates on here and ended well ended two months ago I, I was it was unclear when they ended I thought we were um, we were gonna get this out earlier but I thought there was one other thing dropping but this gives people time to catch up this was had a massive audience so as the owners of a Christian podcast I can tell you <laughs> Christian podcasts are wildly unpopular. If you look at the top 100 podcasts that are downloaded average on a month, there's um, actually there's a really cool one that started a couple years ago. It's a uh, it's like a Catholic dude reading through the Bible and like a brief kind of devotional on it. So that's pretty neat. And he he like dominates this the space for Christian podcasts, and I think he's like number 72. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are no Christian pod. There, there's two Christian podcasts I think in the top. Um, 100. So it's it's no one listens to it. Is my point. This made it to the number four downloads. Like so, it was the fourth most popular podcast at one point across all podcasts across all podcasts, all genres, all which topics. is on. I mean, you're talking millions of downloads. So this was a massive cultural phenomenon. Um, there were articles written about mm-hmm. it. It was in popular media, secular. I guess I mean whatever you want to call it. There. It was all over the place. Uh, so I guess we kind of have an unscripted, which if y'all could see Chris's eye twitching, we have, uh, we're just going to kind of discuss it and uh, hopefully it's it's kind of some of our insights and maybe you'll think of it. Uh, I don't know if there's spoiler alerts. All this happened like 10 years ago, but if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it now. Come back in like three weeks once you've listened to it all and uh, you can listen to our, our uh, reaction here. As I'm scrolling through the list to figure out where we want to start, I will, I will get this out of the way. Uh, episode two, it's called the Boomers, the Big Sort, and really, really, and then my phone isn't telling me what the rest of it goes. Really, really big churches. There we go. And this did the second best job of explaining the change changes in our culture and churches from the 50s onward to now. How we went from institutional, denominational, parish-ish churches to our disconnected communities, suburban growth, um, and kind of the megachurch, non-denominational rise. The best podcast on this is, of course, ours from last year (laughs) and the decline of community. So if you liked this episode uh, of Christianity Day, this is produced by Christianity Day. Where is it? Rise and Fall of Marcel. I forgot the title. It's I a good am, start to this. I am crushing <laughs> the intro. Chris, I hates when I start the intro. It's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. What do you mean? Anyway, what was I talking about? The uh, Go listen to the de- to the decline of community that we did if you liked this episode yes. in particular. Or because, understand how we got here. Because we think it's the best. Right. But they did a good job. Um, and I'll say ours came out first. So did they take some of ours and rework it? I can't say. We'll leave that up to you to decide. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All right, where where do you want to start? I guess let's start with so the story if you don't know, which you should because you've listened to this because we told you to go listen to it first, is about a church in Seattle called Mars Hill mm-hmm. that was planted as a from another church 
uh, with a couple of guys. The most famous one, and eventually became the most famous, was Mark Driscoll. Uh, this kind of, guess, blew up late 90s up into, man, we really should have done some. When did it fall apart? 14? 2014? Does that 14 sound right? is when it completely disbanded. Okay, so it disbanded in 14. Yeah. So there's lead up. Uh, yeah, and there's people, public witness. It says 2006. There's a major issue. Anyway, so kind of a 20-year run. I can say I had really no interaction. I never read his book. I guess his book was pretty popular. I don't know if he wrote multiple books or not. I think he did. I've never read any of his books. Uh, I think I first heard about him. I was probably in college. So this would have been maybe 2004, 2005. A buddy of mine sent uh, one of his sermons to me. And I think that was the first time. And they talk about this, and then we'll talk about this later with when we kind of get into the technology and things. But he was really one of the first people to post sermons online mm-hmm. and kind of reach a massive virtual audience. Uh, I kind of looked into it, and I, honestly, I found him to be kind of like too much of a stick. Like, look at me. I wear a Schmedium black t-shirt, and I cuss sometimes. I'm so edgy, and I just, I, I don't know. That just didn't really fit my personality. I wasn't a big fan. Um, but you said even at that 2005, that was probably his peak. You hadn't even heard of him. So when, what was your first uh, yeah, I really, I think I knew the name, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you much more about him at all. Um, I didn't really, yeah, I wasn't really part of that, that circle. I think the first real awareness I had of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll was around 2014 because we ended up, uh, I was on staff at a church at that point, and we ended up going through as a, as a church community something that in the eyes of a lot of people who knew the Mars Hill story seemed similar. And so people started saying, this kind of feels a little bit of like what's going on with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. And that was my first entry point into that whole arena, which we'll get into a little bit as we share pieces of our story from that perspective as we go along. But that probably was 2014 when it was really reaching its peak and everything actually fell apart and was at like that height of the public discourse around what was happening for me at least. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how we missed him, um, other than maybe just being in the South. We're saturated with plenty of other churches and mega churches and other famous people in the area. Uh, maybe we're too old, too young. I don't know. He's a Gen X kind of guy, but I know he really appealed to, to young men and really did a lot of good work. Um, and maybe I was, by the time he became popular, I was maybe too old to fit in that cat. I'm not, I'm not sure. But yeah. anyway, uh, what do you what do you want to talk about first? We're gonna keep talking about let's talk about keep talking about Driscoll. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that'd be a good place to start. We have you know, there's so much to talk about. I mean, as Kevin showed before, <laughs> there's so many episodes with so many different pieces of the story that it is absolutely impossible to have a reaction episode that's going to cover all of the different reactions that we had as as we were listening to it and that you likely had when you were listening to it. But I do think that there are some key themes that really that really came to the surface in that just from conversations we've even had with other friends that have listened to it. And we have a couple of those that we've pulled out to make sure that we do hit along the way. And one of them comes up pretty early. And I think it's actually the same episode. You just referenced the second episode, if not the third, where it talks about the emphasis on gifts versus character mm -hmm. in church leadership and the way in which this particular story elevated the giftings of the person who was leading the church over the character of the person that was behind the church. And when those are out of balance, how damaging that can be. And so I think I had multiple friends and, and people that I know mention that that was really impactful to hear because it's so easy to see giftings and assume that the character is behind it because mm-hmm. the gifts are visible. You can see them. If someone is a gifted speaker and they are good at what they do and they're a strong charismatic leader, there are there are research studies after research studies that show if you have confidence, if you can if you can exist in spaces and speak well, people automatically assume that you're a good leader. They believe you, they have more trust in you. And so if you actually don't have the character growing simultaneously behind the gifts, I mean it just really emphasized the the dramatic disconnect that that has when they don't align. And a lot of the people that they interviewed in that episode talked about how time and time again, even the decisions that the church made collectively supported a philosophy of gifts over character. They were more concerned with what the gifts did and the outcomes of what the 
the gifts did for the church than they were the impact of the character or lack of character, really, which I think stuck out to me because of some of our experience and walking through, you know, similar arenas. Yeah. Well, this wouldn't be the same, some same cases we had, but the, um, the idea that like, well, the church was growing. Mm-hmm. So obviously character must be, or, mm-hmm. or, or maybe just ignoring or not asking the question of character. It's yeah. just look at their outcome. We're getting tons of people. I mean, I guess they had what thousands of people mm-hmm. on Sunday at their peak and then opened 15, 12, something like that. Other, uh, yeah. Other branches branches see that's that's the problem but that's that's the yeah. corporate what would you call it um campus churches whatever yeah. it would be so um yeah i think when you have that sort of growth and you see people's lives change and affected mm-hmm. you know you, you got people in you got people who were either disaffected from churches people who weren't a part of churches uh unfortunately and, and i don't know if we'll get in this but just kind of as part of the church growth movement a lot of it's just stealing people from other churches and and how that can sort of be not necessarily good mm-hmm. um i think there's there's an illustration from the podcast that really sticks out that i know that they i don't know if it's in the same episode because really they start to blur together after you've listened to the whole thing you're like which episode was this but there's yeah. such a strong illustration that they talk about and it comes from it's not even an illustration it was like a direct quote from driscoll at one point where he talks about the bus metaphor oh, it's like right you're either on the bus or you're basically going to get rolled over and left behind, like in the wake of the bus. Like the bus is coming through, like the outcomes of what we're doing, the growth we're achieving, the ministry, quote unquote, success that we're having mm-hmm. is the most important thing. And you're either on board with us or you're going to be rolled over, right essentially. Over. Like it's such a graphic visual that hearing it like be yelled by him in the middle of oh, this. Oh, well, he says the pile of dead bodies behind it or the pile oh, of yes, bodies. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, he yes, talks I mean, like, about being really run graphic. over. Well, and the worst part is the bus, I mean, he's the driver. Yeah. Like, it's not Jesus. It's not um, your denominational plan of church growth. or You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not any sort of moored um, confession of faith or anything. It is, you do what I say and agree with me or get off the bus mm-hmm. or we're going to run you over. I, d- I think he says something like, you know, by God's grace or hopefully or something, we'll have even more bodies behind us when we're done. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, and like at that point, what he's really talking about is everyone better do exactly what I'm saying and follow di- directly with me or like I'm going to run you over. And when he says he hopes there's more people run over, he obviously has people in mind. Yeah. And those are the some of the elders and some of the pastors that are, they kind of talk about that are in the midpoint, I guess probably 2006, seven ish where they're telling him, you know, maybe we're doing things wrong. Are we doing things correctly? And it's at this point, uh, he's kind of become corrupted. I, I think it's worth saying if you go back and, and I've never really listened to any clips of him before. Uh, so I, this is the most I've ever heard him speak. This dude is super charismatic. Mm-hmm. It is I mean, his speaking ability is undeniable, but it is odd at points. You can see it change. There starts with like at least some level of humility where he's talking about, you know, this isn't Mark Driscoll's church. This is we. And he mentions the two or three other guys and how the other church sent them and how they do want to be different. and They're going to be their own, but it's a group and it's elder led. And what's his, what's his line is something like the elders all get a vote, but Jesus is the lead pastor or something Mm -hmm. like that. And he talks about how they're in, and they do a great job editing this up and cutting it up and then showing later how he even changes his narrative of how it happened. And all of a sudden, he's the one who started it. And then there are those elders uh, that are on there and they basically get kicked off. They're all mm-hmm. fired. Or at first, they start a new elder board of like executive elders or senior elders. And so, and those are his picked specific people. So now, essentially has control of church. So what it really seems is he started with some great intentions. He started with the goal of reaching people who weren't reached by traditional church model, I think, or at least church styles, because he's very stylistic, right? And then, I mean, the best you can say is he probably just became corrupted by the fame, Mm -hmm. fortune, power, and it just twisted him. And that goes back to your your character. He, you know, they said he kind of outkicked his coverage where – he was so young, but so charismatic, and grew j- just too fast, too mm-hmm. too early on. It is well. I think it really does speak to the depth of that, and also how possible that is for 
anybody who's in that role if yes. it happened to. I think it mm-hmm. really, in a sense, like as you listened to it, you were like, wow, this was um, really crazy what happened. But then there's also pieces of it where you're like, this really was potentially like a truly genuine effort mm-hmm. in the beginning that over time, when when those gifts, those natural gifts that were natural and God-given giftings, sure. then had this immediate success after success after success. There is so much that says the more and more you achieve, the more and more you are at risk of believing that it is yourself that did it. And the more susceptible you are to just existing in your own strength and driving forward if you don't have that that character development alongside of it. And so I think that really speaks to that. And and then when coupled with this whole cult of personality, which is our next topic that's really related to this, and the rise of that overall, it's really, I mean, it's just a really dangerous thing for, for a lot of our, our pop culture, Christianity, if you would, mm-hmm. this whole, yeah, celebrity pastor culture, whether it's, I mean, in this particular instance, it was celebrity pastor, but we, I mean, we've seen it in celebrity pastors, celebrity worship leaders as a whole other offshoot of mm-hmm. this. Like you're, you become famous in and of yourself for the giftings you have, and people begin f- coming to your church because they they're loyal to you. They're coming to follow you, really, and which you really ask them, and and it drives this. I don't know this forward motion that feels almost unstoppable and you could you could tell that in the conversations that some people that were interviewed were like this was just it was almost outside of myself what was happening and just driving forward and it felt like you actually couldn't rein it back in because it was just so central on the character and the person and the the brand really of Mark Driscoll behind it all as he became more and more the face of it yeah and then when you invest that much power into one person mm-hmm. you know if you say well it's got to be Mark you know, if someone else can't replace and it collapses. And I think this even goes to, you know, one reason, you know, th- this could be anyone. And, and there's abuses and problems and control issues at churches across all denominations, all levels, all sizes, every stake. And it's just the sad fact that we're fallen broken people. He's just, this is a more famous one because he grew so big because he was so talented. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's worth noting. He also hit at the right time. Like I said, someone had sent me the sermon when I was in college and I thought it was very odd to listen to a recording of a sermon mm-hmm. that didn't for some reason that that didn't seem I'm like why would I listen to this guy in Seattle um, you know I, I knew that like my church growing up they would <laughs> tapes they would make tapes for uh, people who are in the hospitals or um, you know people who can leave their houses and they would listen to them at least that's their actual church mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure and even today, I, I don't, I don't listen to any. I talk to a lot of people who listen to podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I don't listen to sermons from anyone. And a lot of people I know listen to. It, it just seems maybe I haven't picked it up. But it seems oddly disconnected. But so the fact that he happened to hit then, like added to the cult of person. The fact that he was like on the forefront of this added to this personality because he even talks or they have clips of him in some of the episodes where he talks about you know they have. 2,000 or whatever it is in person, but they have 30,000 online. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's like, that's that's not your church. That's a, that's, I mean, that's fans, right? That's someone saying, man, I really like, and, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying listen to sermons and getting good teaching and things is wrong. It just, when that is your only connection to it, mm-hmm. you're going to end up with this, the celebrity pastor with yeah. the personality. You do. And that's, and it kind of brings us into like right in the heart of one of the other things that really, to me, became one of the more interesting and fascinating aspects of the conversation, which was the impact of media in general. There was a whole mm-hmm. episode about media. Episode that, six, the it brand. Was episode six, okay. Mm-hmm. It was all about the brand. And so, so good. This one was really interesting to me because professionally speaking, I work in corporate communications and brand communications. I am, um, if you want to you know, split hairs. I'm not as much a marketer as I am a communicator, um, but that's one big field. And so I've been around the whole concept of brand development for quite some time. And I've, I've had my hand in a lot of brand development projects from a communications aspect standpoint. And so this whole arena of, of brand and media and creating an image is just fascinating when you apply it in onto a church and even passed onto a church onto a person who serves as the figurehead it very much 
very much mirrors how companies brand their CEO as a figurehead, mm-hmm. as a spokesperson around a brand, that what you think of the, the person, you think of the brand or company behind it. And I mean, it, it's a fantastic case study that if you were if you were to look at the success of the brand of Mars Hill and the brand of Mark Driscoll in my field, in my industry, it would be seen as a very, very successful case study and being able to create something out of nothing and have the kind of reach that it had. But one of the pieces I love that they brought up was that the word media actually comes from medium. Like it's it's a barrier between you and the people you're speaking with. And that's something that we talk about in the industry sometimes of how do you break that wall if you're, you know, in this day and age, recording a video message to somebody and you, you know, there's, there's strategies to come off as authentic and that you're connecting to somebody. But there's, there's a barrier there because you're also speaking to a camera. You're speaking to a piece of metal, a speak, you know, a, a piece of equipment and trying to connect. And so there's this, this immediate disconnect. But then there's also this ability to edit and to present only the version of you that you want out there. So there was a crazy part in one of the episodes, again, don't know which one, where it talked about how when some people had left the church and were kicked out, they went back and edited all of the sermons and footage that had ever existed that mentioned oh, their names. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they went and got rid Sermon transcripts. Yes, they, they got would, rid mm-hmm. of people's existence in the church because mm-hmm. they had left the church and they no longer wanted their presence at like on record and the fact that you can go erase those things it it speaks to the power of what you can do from an editing perspective you know when you're putting together you know videos and and podcasts i mean we do it here to a certain extent we edit out things that you know lots of ums here and there but when taken to the extreme you can really craft the kind of image you want in the world and it can become a really dangerous thing for all of the benefits of being able to bring sermons and truth and teaching and conversation into the public sphere it's also a really dangerous thing when not done with the foundation of um of good intentions i suppose yeah right the it. technology and media of course aren't bad you know those are morally neutral it's, yeah. it's how you use it what's your goal with them is really going to be, and they they interviewed a couple guys. Uh, I think the first guy who was posting them online, and then it may have been the same guy, or if not, it was someone else who kind of moved up and became their communications guy. And he talks about just their massive budget. And I think he said that they had about sixty people just on the yeah. media team. So that if that sounds massive, yes, that, that is that bigger is than enormous. a lot of companies. I remember. Uh, Hearing, you know, John Piper, who also has a massive church, talking about why he retired when he did, um, well, I guess also around 10 years ago, kind of being old and, and the staff was getting so big and he was managing and his entire church staff was 60 people, mm-hmm. give or take. I don't remember the exact number. So you're talking about a media team the size of another entire church staff. And that's just, uh, and the guy talks about, I, I don't know what he's talking about because it's kind of technology. I don't know if you, but. Something about the camera read something. Something about the cameras, but they had mm-hmm. high end cameras. They said like NBC had. Mm-hmm. So they have just it, it, we're just talking like two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. They're ahead of the curve on on all this. And <clears throat> basically, you know, he said it was a great job because whatever they wanted, they got. Mm-hmm. He said they could take and say, "Hey, we need this." You know, these people are using this, and you know, they had three of those cameras. I, I, go, go back and listen. It's yeah, it's it really a fascinating. Where he talks about how it's just carte blanche, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need to go buy these things, and they say, you know, that's our media department. That's our that's how we're getting the message and our brand out. Yeah. Well, it, it makes it, you know, if you were to put in parallel, as the brand grows and grows and grows, and you're saying, okay, is what we're doing on brand? Because that's something that in the field you ask, like, is this on brand? Is this message on brand? Is this photo and video and graphic that we're putting up on brand? You know, for, you know, a high-level executive is the speech on brand. When you start holding up the brand with the same level of care as you do what you're supposed to be preaching, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a conflict. If you're like, is this on brand or is this the gospel of Christ? Like, there's going to be a conflict. And it was really clear in that that the brand became, I mean, like just of utmost importance as they were growing because they were growing it like you would a company, really. Did they ever say the percentage? I would love to know the percentage. That's... Sorry, that's kind of dangerous. I know. Uh, well, because I, I remember a, a big report probably 10, 15 years ago. It was done internally and then leaked, so I, you don't even know which denomination it was. It was probably either the Episcopal Church or maybe the Methodist Church. 
and they were just talking about them becoming, having become so institutional, so large, but not really focused on evangelism to the point that, of course, they had a missions budget, but their um, lawn maintenance, Mm -hmm. their grounds uh, for the average church was higher than their evangelism and discipleship budget. Mm -hmm. And, And you look at that and you're like, we're... We're doing something wrong here. When we're talking about cutting grass is more important yeah. than outreach and evangelism. And I would be sure that maybe specific line items as far as programs, their media budget had to be their largest budget. Probably. The way this guy's talking. Probably I so. mean, it's... Well, and it's, you know, and one of the byproducts, and this was a, this was an entirely different episode, and I can't remember the, the head coach, was it Indiana? Bobby Knight. Bobby yeah. Knight, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> showing my lack of sports knowledge. But they're... Um, they compared this situation to what happened um, with him and the, the way that he was able to portray a certain image externally that mm. was extremely different from what he portrayed in his inner circles. And I think that's one of the huge downfalls of being able to craft a brand that is edited and curated mm. externally because I think that's why some of this was able to go on for so long without outside public scrutiny because on the outside, it seemed, for the most part, to the average the average partaker participant in any of you know the downloads or any of that that things were good yeah you just think it's normal because you don't know so that's going to be episode nine it's called the bobby knight problem and they do a lot of the comparisons about um you know if you're a college basketball fan which is funny actually while we're doing this i got a text from someone about watching the uh the kickoff of the tournament in a couple of weeks funny. <laughs> uh you know bobby knight was kind of famous of like kicking the media out, locking the door. Like, he'd lock the doors at practice. He wouldn't let people mm-hmm. in. And, and then, so when someone finally spoke out against him, the guy was completely, like, shunned, mm-hmm. had a transfer out. People didn't believe his family. And so they do a really interesting job because that, that's a fairly famous story, I think, uh, at least in the sports world. I think there's a um, 30 for 30 on it for, you know, the ESPN documentaries. And, um, and they point out, I mean, this is basically exactly how Driscoll was asking. This is the control freak, bully, mm-hmm. uh, whatever else you want to call it, of someone who has made it successful. Mm-hmm. And then they want to do it their way and only their way, which they must know to some extent is wrong because they're... they're Cause they know, hide it. Exactly. They hide, you yeah. know, you're closing the doors and you're not letting people know what really goes on. And if they speak out or challenge your authority, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an incredible, it's an incredible Yeah, it was, episode. it was a really, really well done parallel that, that if you, even if you're newer to the church world and don't understand how it could, could happen within the church context, it shows you a lot of the parallels because the systems are kind of the same. And so I thought that was a really, really well done thing. So I think there's so much to unpack there, but another thing, and just for the sake of, of time, we have so much more on here. We have this whole area of his treatment of women. Before we move on that, oh, yeah. I, okay. I, I do think there's a really interesting <clears throat> I think it's they they do it throughout, but you know he his personal brand, his change. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's it started with him and some other people, and then it became he sat out to plant the church. But also, um, I mean, he's very much like a politician. It's so weird because he he tries to do this like kind of fake hard scrabble, and it sounds like I had a rub upbringing. That's not what I'm talking about, but this kind of like no one would have expected I would be here. No one would do this. Um, you know, I was, you know, I don't know if he ever calls himself as outcast, but he essentially sounds like a politician call himself an outsider, even though they've been in the Senate for 30 years, mm. because then, um, you know, the narrator cuts in clips and, and talks about at his high school, he was like class president voted most likely to succeed and what well, like captain the baseball team. So he's obviously charismatic, intelligent. And, and so all of a sudden, he's trying to rebrand of like this upstart when from the very beginning, he was obviously, mm-hmm. and it's just, I don't know if that's a uniquely American thing, but that seems to be really popular. We don't, you know, he goes on early some of the clips, he talks about, you know, we in this team and we haven't gone to seminary to, to basically bragging later about his lack of credentials while also hiding kind of some of his actual credentials. Yeah. But uh, that was I was interested, yeah. And actually, I'll, I'll say this to, to slide us back into the, the treatment of women. Uh, t- to his kind of charisma, he, he also has a style, at least in a lot of the clips they played, where he sounds like a, almost like a stand-up comedian. Hmm. Like, it sounds like bits. And there's the one um, clip that they play that, let's see, what episode is this? 
where he is, I think he's in Scotland and he's talking, the, uh, episode five, the things we do to women. <clears throat> and you hear what he's saying and you're like, all right, that's kind of pushing the line, but that's, that's pretty funny. And then you're like, you shake your head and think for a minute. No, wait, he's behind a pulpit. This is Sunday morning. This isn't like, and it's, it's like, that's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't be. Why would you say that? Like during a, I guess, I guess it was a sermon. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think the whole, you know, and this, this is not the entire reason that the church rose the way it did and then fell apart, but it's definitely a contributor because the way in which he and then the church by extension were taught to, to treat women is just not in line with biblical principles at all. Um, it, it set up a very common theme that we see in the church of women being, it's either like we're the, we're the seductress that has to be tamed Hmm. and just like you are dangerous or you are completely in a sense, unimportant and completely need to be ruled over by your husband and any man in the church. And so there are story after story of, of voices being discounted. There's a heartbreaking story, um, one that comes to mind of this of this woman who was young and she was going to college and was being counseled by an elder mm-hmm. about yeah. what to do. And the elder basically said, your role now that you are married is to stay at home. You need to drop out of school out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and not have a career. And your your main goal is to please your husband. And and that's one example of, of the culture that was created by some of the, the very um, – brash teaching almost and very it was very like sexually undertoned teaching too while also having like a very very undertone it's it's pretty explicit (laughs) explicit um very very much um like authoritarian like the the height of like authoritarian patriarchal type of language in Mm. in the way that the culture was so much so that women were constantly running up against these barriers of even feeling like they were valued and worthwhile in a lot of different spaces and feeling like they were constantly, even when there were times of abuse in the church, being told that it was more on their, like on, on their side of the, the fence mm-hmm. for being not sexually available enough as the reason that they were then abused. Or you know, like, it was just yeah. th- like all of the, the terrible things that you see was just part of this teaching. And so when, when you have a culture like that, that's also grounded in, you know, gifts for, over character and cult of personality. When you have like this surge of momentum in the media, like it's this unescapable force forward that there were just so many stories of women who had been just, I don't know, I, I don't even have the right word. So many words. <laughs> in that, run over by the bus. Um, run over by the bus <laughs> in, in really, really tragic ways. Um, and I think it's really important, especially because of how much conversation there is right now in the past year or two specifically around women in the church. Mm-hmm. And and I think opening up some of those conversations through this podcast was really insightful because it shows you the really nuanced and subtle ways that it happened too. Because not mm-hmm. every example that was shared was like this hugely crazy story. It would be like these small things that would happen and these small things that were preached from the pulpit and, and just like the slow drip in a sense of like an IV <laughs> that you have over and over and over that saturated that. And so you were essentially like pushing down half of the voices in the church that could have actually st- stood up in some of the gap that was being experienced. And in fact, there was there, there were some voices, one in particular, and I don't know the situation around it offhand because it was months ago now that we listened to it, but there was a one woman who I think was maybe either his assistant or had worked closely with him and she confronted him at one point and then he basically like shut her down, had someone else talk with her and said, you had no right to do this. Mm-hmm. You were not under the authority of your husband. Therefore, she was like outcasted for months mm-hmm. from the church. Like they wouldn't even look at her or talk to her just because she had dared to disagree with something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably not getting all the details right, but it was it was that kind of interaction that they, and they were able to show pretty well that it was because specifically her role as a woman, she was out of line. Right. Because of the gender role, that if she had been a man, it would have been okay to disagree. It still would have been outcasted, maybe, because a lot of them were. But it was just this it was this different level of spiritual abuse of, like, you are not being biblical and godly right now. You are, did your husband know that you disagreed with me? And did you go through him to do this? And, like, all these layers. Yeah, they play clips of, of him. Or at least, I guess there's not clips of him, but it's the interviews of the women saying, you know, I... I'm not going to speak to you without your husband here, or I have no need to speak to you at all. Send your husband back if you have questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that happened to one woman whose husband was on staff. And so he essentially, because so then it became like essentially threatening their livelihood, their job mm-hmm. as well. So it's, you know, it, again, it started 
well enough, and maybe we'll do a, a diversion here, not diversion, digression here in a minute on, on the purity culture. But I think part of the kind of overemphasis on sex is because purity culture scared people away from sex so much. So then people are like, no, nah, it's cool. Y'all are married now. You need to have, and I think that's healthy because he also was encouraging people. So he starts out by really attacking men, which um, maybe some people found, you know, too brash or too harsh. I, I, I appreciate it. It's always, and it's probably too tangential. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this in another episode we have coming up in probably a couple months, but the, uh, it, it, Nah, it's going to be too tangential, but I'll just briefly say the, uh, you know, he's challenging men, like, don't be lazy, get a job, get married, have kids, buy a house. I mean, he's just telling people to do, be involved in your family, support your family, keep moving. Mm -hmm. And so we'll leave that there because we're going to, we're going to talk about this in a later one. But, but then the, what happens is you swing the complete other way. So you go from, hey man, like, don't be lazy, stop playing video games, get a job, to women, you are essentially a sex object. Mm-hmm. You are just there to pleasure your husband whenever he wants for whatever reason. And, and it just, and I think part of it has to do with the purity culture kind of pushing back and saying like, no, it's, it's good. This is where you want, like you're in, you know, a God-ordained marriage and it's safe. And so let's try to cover some of those hurts. It kind of starts from that to being, I mean, really graphic. It was, um, it was interesting to I don't remember if they talked about in some of this, or I think in some of the articles they would post some of the reviews that were written by other celebrity pastors and other famous people of his book, and they were like, yeah, you know, for kind of a Christian bookstore audience, like, you got kind of graphic here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't, and, you know, there's an adult level where it's like, okay, we should be able to talk about some of these things, but is this really like marriage seminar spoken in public kind of it's one thing to talk about it so for instance i guess you know our community group just did meaning of marriage and of course there's a sex chapter in that and we kind of split up and this is a small intimate group of you know five men five women and we kind of broke up and that so there is a place to talk about some of these things but Mm -hmm. he's throwing it all out there and it's interesting that their criticisms he's viewing women as sex objects and it's clear you read some of these passages and some of these clips that people are pulling out. of course they're pulling out the worst ones but they're still there you know this is clearly what i thought and it's like your your wife is at this point just there for your pleasure and basically nothing else she doesn't exist to do anything else it's it's ridiculous and then people who wrote kind of criticisms still overall supported the book because they were just like well i don't really know if you should have been talking about dildos in a book <laughs> But they had com- no issue with them. I don't know if we're going to edit that out to stay on the Christian podcast. <laughs> Mark Driscoll didn't have to. The uh, and so it's the criticism of him using sexualized language, but no criticism of his treatment of women or his view of women. And so all that does is keep adding legitimacy to it, mm-hmm. and uh, it just it makes it ripe for abuse. It does well, and it speaks to the overall. Like you have to put this. As I said before, it's not necessarily like this was the one and only thing, but I think this is a huge contributing factor when you look at the overall trajectory of the church, like the whole growth model of like grow and grow and grow and like the the results we're achieving, like we can't possibly be doing something wrong if we're growing this much. Like right. people, like we're, we're adding campuses, people want to be part of our church because there was enough externally that people were, were coming and there were, there were genuine life transformations of people coming to know the gospel. Like we don't want to say that the gospel wasn't preached in, to some degree mm-hmm. in different sermons. Like there was, there was a lot happening. And I think the podcast um, overall did a really good job showing the way in which God worked and is still redeeming a lot of what happened through it because we know God is sovereign in all things and is working for the, you know, for the good of his people. But there's such a trajectory of growth that even touching back on so what we talked about at the beginning, just especially in the later years of the church, the way that they grew and the way that they were focused on on more and more and more growth and more campuses and more preachers. And it was just, if you don't agree with us, you're going to be gone. And so like it created this heightened sense of like people wanted to be associated with the church because it was successful and it was going places. And the name was becoming such that it was present in you know, a lot of the big cultural discussions that were being had. But at the same time, once you were in the fold, if you didn't agree, you were then tossed to the side. So like those two sides of it really ended up leading to the downfall. Yeah. And and what's interesting, of course, is, you know, he said they were doing good. They still are because some of the churches that kind of broke off from the Mars Hill network, whatever, you know, they planted different ones. 
are, are still going today and are still gospel focused and still mm-hmm. doing the original message. So it's, yeah. you know, it, it worked, but it also did. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. So. Well, and yeah. I think that's probably, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the, um, just the, the way a church is governed too, to some degree and, and we, the, the do, rise of this, especially in the wake of so many, non-denominational churches and the mega churches and the potential for, not that it doesn't happen in denominational churches, because we have a story that we'll share uh, momentarily a little bit more about how it really can happen everywhere. But this is really happening to some degree or another in churches all over the place. I mean, not to the extent of Mars Hill always, um, but some of the the historical church polity and governance and structure has been in place in order to almost have a checks and balances to keep things from getting to this type of level. Yeah, before before we jump into that, I will say the um, we, we, we won't go on a tangent here on purity culture. We were slightly involved in that. I don't think our church, based on what some of these things were saying, um, I think we were kind of on that. We were influenced by, but weren't, weren't a big part. There's it's a, It looks like it's a bonus episode called I Kiss Christianity Goodbye, and it's that I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Josh Harris. And it's actually an interview with him, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's definitely worth checking out and we've had requests to do a purity culture episode anyway so maybe we'll do one of those later but that all of that kind of ties in into the whole like over sexualized motif treatment of women view of women view of sex um, that's all around pretty unhealthy but to your point and there actually there's another bonus episode the boca raton church planting og whatever it's about <laughs> actually it's kind of pointed out that there was a guy who's been doing this since the 70s, uh, planting churches that kind of Driscoll took and turned that into the Acts 29 network and and kind of took, <laughs> looks like he took a lot of credit for it based on it. But it it takes, so in denomination or not in denomination, well, I guess we'll get to the kind of polity in a minute, but I think how you keep talking about the gift versus character and the growth at all costs, it takes a certain type of person to go be a church planner. It, it's it's grueling. It's like starting a business, but worse probably because you kind of have no money and, and I just it's going to take a certain person. And if it's someone who doesn't have a certain maturity or certain character, it, it's going to attract those harder charging, uh, accomplishment focused people. That's I think it's just going to lend towards more abuse than other things. Um, I don't think church planning obviously isn't wrong. Uh, you know, we support church planning, and yeah. and you know, every denomination and every group has you know they're they're trying to grow churches and we're trying to spread out, and of course, bring the gospel. So I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think there is a you know we started going wrong with the church growth movement when it was the seeker sensitive. And the kind of whole focus on numbers. Mm-hmm. And now you can get celebrity through it. You know, you're not going to get celebrity through someone who has a much tighter parish model. Like, I guess we should have talked to our friend, Reverend Tyler Strange, who's a, a Methodist pastor in uh, South Carolina. Uh, because they get moved. Their bishop moves them around. And I, I don't, <laughs> it'd be interesting to know if they have limits on the size of a church on a, and kind of the parish. But like, they're not going to become super famous and make books. In fact, I can't tell you a famous Methodist pastor. Almost all the famous ones I could tell you are, uh, for the most part, going to be non-nominational or kind of Baptist or independent-y. Um, I guess Tim Keller is PCA, and he's he's pretty famous. But um, it, it's hard to, to kind of do that within some constructs because of just their growth model. And anyway, I think they talk about him needing to be around other people. And so and I think... If you're part of a church plant or going to be in a network, uh, like there really needs to be a lot of other people around you. And they talked about how he just would not take people yeah, around him. That's true. Um, yeah, he just rejected a lot of people that even tried mm-hmm. to mentor him. He just, like, it, there was a certain point, I think it said, he even said, I'm so big now, why do I need you? You have a smaller church than I do. He was on about Piper. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, like I don't, I'm like more successful. Why would I be mentored Piper by you? Piper couldn't mentor him. Yeah. You know, Piper with a... <clears throat> With a PhD in theology, who had been doing it for what <clears throat> twenty years at that point, had had a couple books maybe, um, and and was out there being very anti seashell. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I so actually, you know, we came to late to a lot of these people as far as our maturity. We talked about our story. So actually, I assumed Piper and Keller 
had been famous for much longer than they were. They don't talk much about Keller, but they talk about kind of Piper's kind of blow up in the late 90s, early, yeah, early 2000s with him at that whatever conference he was. It looks like mm-hmm. it was in Nashville. Um, that was a super like 2005 looking with the baggy shirts and spiky hair. It was awesome. <laughs> y'all, would, y'all, if you could see how much she puts her heads down when I go on these tangents, <laughs> you would love it. Anyway, what am I supposed to be talking about? <laughs> I'm not actually sure at this point. <laughs> no, the yeah, okay. So I do think it takes a it, it, like I said, it takes a certain person to want to go to the plant, and, and I think too often that can lead to abuse. And that's kind of do we want to get into ours? Or do we want to? I, I think it'd probably be a good time to because one of the things that and we know this is a longer episode. So for those of you who are still listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we hope you are listening because you really care about the church and because you, you you know what its purpose is and you know that we are called to love the church and to fight for the church and to protect the church. And our whole hope in even having a reactions episode is both to sh- open up conversation in our circles and also share some of our story. Because one of the things that this episode, not this episode, this series of episodes did across the country was allow people to see glimpses of their own story in this big story. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've likely walked through something difficult. And there's different degrees of difficulty. There are small, um, there are small, you know, problems that churches will have, sometimes with leadership transition, sometimes with vision direction, sometimes with, you know, arguments over a certain philosophy and how to do something. Other times there's actual really large divisive issues that escalate and escalate and escalate and it's hard to know exactly what you're going to walk into because the church at the end of the day is full of sinful people. Like this side of eternity, the church is imperfect. Um, and so one of the things that we we wanted to do in this is really to end with like, as Christians, what do we do with this? Like, what do we do having listened to this entire series? How, how do we enter into our relationship with the church? Um, and so as a starting point, we thought we'd share a little bit about our experience walking through something not quite to the level of Mars Hill, but one that has really impacted us, and then how we have walked through that, and hopefully provide some I don't know just solidarity and encouragement forward because it can it can leave you feeling really discouraged. I know we've talked to a lot of people who are like, well, if this is what the church is, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point? Should we just not go anymore? Like, if every church and every place is going to have issues, and if some are more prone to issues, and if they can really hurt people this much, what are we all doing? And so without, without the perseverance and the endurance that is, is asked of us as Christians, it can, it can definitely seem like that. So without going more into that first, I think we'll just take a second now and yep. we can share yep. a little bit about the story. So we, several years ago at this point, goodness, ten. probably about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. we, um, we had moved from a Baptist church at the time to a PCA church. It was a young church. It was about four years into... Um, I guess planting in a sense, but it was done through through the local re- presbytery. It, it was had been replanted. replanted for about a year, four or five years old, essentially. But I had taken a position on staff. Could have been replanted with a new pastor. That was only like a year or so, right? I don't. We should know this. Why yeah. are we gonna? Because it started with a different name and a different. It had a different name, but I think yeah. it had the same. No, it was a different okay. pastor that started. Well, we can edit that out if we need to. <laughs> we going. probably won't. We'll leave it. It's just where we are. Um, <laughs> but we. Um, we started attending this church and we're part of it. Have you been part of it, like a, a startup church in essence? I mean, it, it was through denomination. It was planted in kind of a parish model, like in a location on purpose because there was a gap in this denomination being present in the area that we were in. And so we were in like full church building mode. Like we were, I was on staff part-time. I was working in my profession part-time, but we were kind of that on staff with the, you know, bivocational model. There's a lot of people on staff part-time working their regular jobs, working for the church. We were involved in every facet of the church. I think we were, we had actually just purchased our house when we moved mm-hmm. out this direction and we were barely in our house those couple of years because we were always over by the church. We were planting, we were meeting in homes. We were, we were being part of a church planting environment. And yeah, we were gone almost every night of the week. We really were. Yeah. No kids. That's how that was possible. And we're not going to go into into too much detail about all the ins and outs of what happened because that doesn't really do a service to anybody listening or even to, to what we went through and the people that walked through this with us. But what I will say is we don't in any way claim that we had an experience like the, the Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll thing, but there is enough similarity to some of the pieces as many of you have maybe found in other um, in other experiences you've had 
that we really did at one point walk into an issue with the lead pastor of the church, mm-hmm. um, mainly along the lines of, um, I would say, an abusive relationship mm-hmm. with a lot of the staff. It's uh, kind of where I'll leave it. But there was a core small group of people that came forward first to talk about this with the elders. We were part of that small group. Mm-hmm. And so I share that only because we really were in kind of the, I've, I've called it for years, the hot, fiery center of some of what happened and bringing it forward, being some of the first to speak. And the next year and a half, really, just little by little, bringing in the presbytery, having the elders involved, the the infighting between elders, the poor management of the whole situation at multiple levels, um, but walking through it in the hopes of protecting the church and fighting for what the church should be and trying to stand in the gap. But what happened eventually was that it, it escalated and escalated and escalated um, because there wasn't any recognition on the, the part of the pastor that there was mm-hmm. an issue along the way, that it eventually rose to the level of having a, ch- a church trial within the denomination that we testified in and many others that we served alongside did as well. And the very end result was that the the pastor was defrocked, which is the mm-hmm. official word for no longer being ordained within the denomination or being allowed to ever preach again or lead a church within the denomination. Correct. Didn't know that was a term until this happened. Um, but then along with that, because of the poor leadership shown by many people within the church, including the eldership, the church itself was kicked out of the denomination. So, yeah, so there we had five elders. And, and for those who don't know, I know we got a lot of uh, Baptist friends listening. The, the way it works is there's the ruling elders, and those are the elders in charge of the church. And then the pastor is technically mm-hmm. a teaching elder. He doesn't have a ruling. Mm-hmm. He just preaches. So, like, there were five elders. And one of them, <laughs> because all this could have been, because they can vote. Essentially, they're the representatives of the local congregation on a three to two vote. They could have essentially kicked out this teaching pastor or or made him go on sabbatical or made him resign. You know, Mm -hmm. it it could have ended right there. So you had two very for the pastor, two saying, hey, it seems like there's some issues. We really need to look into this. And one guy really failed and said, man, there's a lot of conflict. I'm out. Mm -hmm. And so he left. So now it's two to two which means you can never get a vote. Eventually, during and through the trial, those other two who had started the investigating, who had brought charges up, um, they ended up leaving because mm-hmm. they saw it as kind of hopeless. And the church was failing. People left the church. The church, you know, the pastor was clearly going to be defrocked. It was clearly going to have to restart again later. Um, so they kind of stepped out. And then so when the the Presbytery, the Metro Atlanta Presbytery, looked at it, they said, you know what, you're just kind of a corrupted so your church, your name, everything, you're gone mm-hmm. and you're done. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. And, and that's and so, yeah, he's defrocked. He's no longer an ordained PCA pastor. Uh, I think he's a chaplain now for a high school football team and uh, left the Metro Atlanta altogether. The, um, I don't know if you had more to say about that. Uh, I mean, in general, yes, but specifically okay. right now. You can keep going. I was just going to say, just for people wondering how it turned out, the church is actually... Um, not the church, because that church is gone. But the PCA actually relaunched a plant there. Uh, I don't know if he's acting as one of the elders. Do you? But one of the elders who was there is now, originally, yeah. is he still an elder there? Because when you're PCA, know. you're ordained an elder, an elder yeah. for life. I don't know if he's acting as an elder yeah. for this new church, but it, it has been relaunched. And actually, um, kind of in a weird, kind of cool story, he kind of incubated the, the new pastor there, kind of incubated at our church for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. And we actually did a joint um men's retreat yeah. a couple years ago back when you could do these things before the pandemic. So, yeah. you know, I guess that's going to be kind of my point and then we'll jump back in to what you get back on where you were saying, but like you, <laughs> the church will keep moving. Mm-hmm. You know, if Mark Driscoll doesn't exist, the church will keep moving. You know, if your local pastor, when he dies, they're all going to die. <laughs> I mean, you got to think along the timeline. The church yeah. has been around for 2000 years. It will continue. And if someone says or acts otherwise, you have a problem. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the entrepreneurial type person. And again, not all, you, you have to have an entrepreneurial person in a church plant. You, you just do. I'm just saying it can lead to some issues because what I've seen it go wrong is those type of people too often, when it goes wrong, want devotion to them, not the church. They take it personally. If you disagree with them, 
even if you are doing what you think is best for the church. Mm-hmm. And it, it causes this, you know, they want that sort of devotion and honor uh, to them. And so my point in this is there is now still a PCA church in that area mm-hmm. with a devoted PCA pastor and a devoted community there. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps moving. So Yeah. One of the things that, that in sharing this story, because it, you know, we haven't we haven't shared all the details of it, but it's it's from a place of wanting to create a sense of community that many of us have walked through different things in the church, and this was this was honestly one of the hardest things I've walked through in my entire life so far. What were these? I mean, probably the two years specifically from the time of coming forward through all of the ins and outs over the next couple of months. And if you listen to the Mars Hill podcast, you hear some of what happens behind the scenes throughout this and you know, in, in its own way, there was just back and forth and this meeting and that meeting and this, t- and this testifying and this coming forward and this writing this statement and confirming this detail and having people start fighting in the church and just, and just I mean, it, it was one of the hardest things we've walked through. And at the end of it, we lost our entire community. And there, mm-hmm. there were so many points along the way listening to this, this podcast series where I would, I would listen to one and I would, I would have tears in my eyes afterward because I would... I would feel remnants of my own pain, even though it's been so many years and we've healed in tremendous ways by God's grace through it. There's still a recognition of what what it felt like then and also the realization of what harm has been caused elsewhere. And it's this sense of you're not alone and there's echoes of your story that are being shared through this large story that we all have now to reference. And knowing how wide that is and how common it is and i think that's one of the things that they were even surprised by as they they kept recording how many people started coming forward and coming forward and Mm -hmm. coming forward and then there was this whole episode at the end talking about the aftermath like what are people doing now and there Mm -hmm. are people who are who are still hurting too much to go to church and there are people who are in a new church but still are sensing the huge loss of their community and all the people and all the the vision and purpose that they had identified with when they were there. And that episode in particular was really hard to get through. And I shared that because I'm, I'm thinking that it's might, it might be something that many of you have experienced in different arenas of, of having to, to come to terms again and again, as you hear stories of what it sometimes feels like to be part of a church. And there is such a tendency to, to disconnect and to disengage. I know we mentioned that before. When this all happened, as I was not ready to go back to church initially at all, and Kevin thankfully had the um, the foresight and the and the leadership at that point to to say no. We really need to to find somewhere. We need to land somewhere. We need to heal around other people and continue going because again, the church the church continues. Mm-hmm. And I think that's at least my hope at the end of this whole episode, sharing our reactions to everything. It, it allows us to say communally that what happened in that instance wasn't right. And it allows us to say that collectively and to name things what they are, but then also to come together and say, you know, we're all going to be hurt by the church. But as believers, we have to continue to fight for the church and belong to the church because we're called to. Mm-hmm. And that's like the deepest thing that we have outside of belonging to God is that we belong to each other in the church and that our calling is to to. Sh- to share the good news, to be heralds and apostles into the world. And we do that together in community through the church and it's going to be broken and it's going to come with pain sometimes and it's going to make you want to give up at times. And it certainly felt like that for us in those moments. So and I feel it, that sometimes. And sometimes I mean, you still do. Like it, it comes around. and goes. And even when you hear of other stories, even if they're not your own, and when you hear of other stories, it can, it can feel like, oh, this happened to this person too and this person too. And, and so in sharing that, I mean, one of the greatest things that that we have, I think, stumbled upon, at least I have, is that sometimes you have to move forward even when you don't want to and continuing to, to belong and to fight for the church. So. No rest for the wicked. <laughs> you always say that. You keep, it's true. You got to keep moving. No, I, I, I did push. I pushed hard, maybe a little too hard to, to for our family to jump straight back into church because I just felt if I gave up that rhythm and habit, I didn't know if I'd go back yeah and that's that's where we were at that point and uh yeah in, in some way you, you know that that impact will impact the way probably we view pastors to some extent for the rest of our lives the way we look at community 
kind of longing for what we lost. I mean, it's been eight years now. We've not restored our community the sense that we had then. Of course, mm-hmm. it was also a different time in our life, and so there's different reasons Pre-kids. for that. Pre-kids. <laughs> exactly. We had a lot more <laughs> flexibility to do stuff. And, and, you know, so there's there's a lot there. and But we're, we're committed to the, the body of Christ and, and the, the church universal, and I think that's the takeaway. If you... If you've been involved heavily in your church, whether you know volunteering or being, you will have heard of conflicts or issues mm-hmm. or fights. And if your church is big enough, then you can maybe stay out of them while still keep going on and say, "Well, that's between those two pastors mm-hmm. or whatever it is." And you know, um, and if you haven't yet, you know, you're you're going to. In fact, the church we ended up, you know, I guess what well, maybe a few months later had their own issue where mm-hmm. a pastor ended up resigning. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was on staff. And, and so it's conflict is just going to happen. You should not expect the church to be perfect because mm-hmm. um, conflict is going to happen. I mean, any of y'all have like jobs or mm-hmm. ever been involved with a group of people, you're going to have, you're just going to have conflict and you're mm-hmm. going to have issues. It just, I think it hurts more. You know, it's it shouldn't really be unexpected. You, you hope for it to not happen, mm-hmm. but... On a long enough timelines, it's just going to. Yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the things that sharing the story from Mars Hill shows all of us is that we we have to be aware enough and diligent enough to see what's happening around us while also fighting for the church and, and being involved. Like, we can't close our eyes to what's happening. We need to be able to call things out, but then also continue to, to build and to to share, you know, the, the gospel of Christ and be committed to churches. So, like, it's this weird tension. It's like a both and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's what at times becomes uncomfortable. And to Kevin's point of, I think it's it's really easy to become cynical. And I think one of the things that needs to press up against our tendency to become cynical when we walk through those types of things is the hope that we have in Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, that's literally the reason we should, as Christians, have an optimistic outlook because one, we know it all ends well and that one day all things will be made new and there's such hope in Christ, like real tangible hope in Christ. And so that has to be forefront. And even when there is that tendency toward the cynicism of why does it matter, that has to ground us. And it's one of those times, if you've walked through this, where you've likely experienced the need to remind yourself of that and to go through the rhythms of reminding yourself of that and walking through obediently and allowing almost your emotions to catch up to your actions then and continuing to to be part of the church in whatever form or fashion. And it's not to say you wouldn't need time to regroup and decompress because mm-hmm. we don't want to minimize our emotions. In fact, we need to feel them fully and acknowledge them and walk through them with the full hope that the church is the bride of Christ um, and will be made perfect in its, you know, in its time. Yeah, someone told me, um, I was, we were watching Georgia win the national title. Someone told me... Uh, he and a few other guys who had been part of the part of the church that we were part of, he had started listening to Mars Hill, and he called up the other guys and were like, uh, "We need to grab a beer and talk about this podcast because it was bringing up things to him." And I assume they actually met up and talked about it. I, I, he didn't. I don't know if he didn't finish the story, but the uh, it brought up things for him. And he, you know, one of the other guys he called, you know, was on staff there, you know, mm-hmm. with you. And, uh, yeah, so I think, I think there was some debate, uh, when this podcast was coming out, a series, people were kind of writing articles saying, you know, this is, um, disaster porn or revenge, or this is a hit piece. Like, why would we, why would we do this? And I think at the very end where you, the aftermath episode you talked about, I think that's why mm-hmm. this brought people, cause a lot of people have been through hurt. And, and, but a lot of people may feel isolated and be like, well, maybe it's in my head. Maybe it wasn't that wrong. And you see some of these same things in this story or things like, and you're like, you know what? That was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and by the way, I should say all these guys, they're all still part of churches and they're involved. And actually one of them's back on staff at a church. So like it's, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. And, but, but they still needed the healing. They still needed to discuss it. So mm-hmm. I, I would say this is a good thing because we need to talk about our flaws. Um, I think that was kind of one of the things people saying, let's let's protect the image of the church, mm-hmm. you know, to the, the culture as a whole. And and that's where we kind of went wrong is when you start trying to cover up mm-hmm. everything and hide things because they're facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that they listed, as far as we can tell, most have been corroborated were facts. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So I think it's valuable, you know, if somehow you made it this long, which, man, I don't even know how long this has gone so far. But <laughs> if you made it this long and you still haven't listened to the podcast, you need to go back and listen to it. And um, and if you haven't, if it's brought up something, you know, listening to it and, like, you talk to someone about it. And I think it's a good discussion point mm-hmm. that can help bring some healing. And hopefully it will renew your hope, your faith in, in the church. And, and if you've dipped away because of some abuse that felt like, what's the point? Like, know that the point is to make disciples for Christ mm-hmm. and be part of the body. You know, there's Paul telling people, like, you can't turn to other parts of the body and say, I have no need for you. We need to be part of a body. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll circle back to your, uh, if you have nothing else, your, our hope in Christ mm-hmm. and our hope for the future restoration of all things uh, is a great place to end if you have nothing yeah. else. So, because yeah. it's gone super long and I think we could keep going for hours. Probably so. Let's, so that's a good point to cut it. <laughs> so. so if you made it, thank you. Um, I hope some of this helped you. Uh, we'd love to hear any feedback. You yeah. can email us at uh, moderncloister at gmail.com or, you know, if you made it this far, it's probably because you know us. So just call Carissa, talk to her and we'll, <laughs> we'll set something up. It's true, you bet. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope you, you left feeling like you were part of a, a conversation that opened up more conversations that you may want to have about, about the church and and all of our participation in continuing to fight for what the church is supposed to be. So with that, we'll see you next time.